But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's begin, though, by praying together. Let's pray. This is what Paul says earlier on in the letter. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Our Father, may we have the same attitude to your word this evening as the Thessalonians did, that it is your word, not the word of men, but the word of God. And may it go to work in us as believers, as you intend it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how much are you looking forward to the day? To the day that's coming, the day when it will all be over. What are your expectations for what it will be like? Are you ready for it? Well, you might think that I mean by that the day when lockdown is lifted and freedom returns to our lives, the day that we can see friends and family again. That day really is something to look forward to, isn't it? We long for it, we, we hope that it will be soon, whatever it might be, but we're not talking about that. There is a day, a greater day, the greatest day that the Bible speaks of. And Paul speaks of it here in 1 Thessalonians. It's what connects our passage together. It's what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. All of history is leading to a fixed point, a day when the risen and ascended Lord Jesus returns to this world in glory 
to gather his people to himself, to renew the creation and to establish heaven on earth for all who love him. The day of the Lord. This idea of the day, the day of the Lord, is not a new one to the letter. Paul's been speaking about it already. And just take a look with me. Chapter 1, in verse 9 and 10, Paul speaks of the Thessalonians' conversion to Christ, and he says this about them. This is talking about other people's report. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They're waiting for God's Son, Jesus, to come from heaven. And then Paul's prayer, just before our passage, chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father when? At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul's great desire, God's great desire for us is that we are ready for the day of the Lord. That when Jesus comes with all his saints, we are found in Christ to be blameless in holiness. And now Paul takes some time in his letter to go into details about this day. And it's all to encourage them. Perhaps you'd notice that as it was read, just uh, the closing sentence of each section encourage one another with these things. Encourage one another and build each other up. The first section, chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, it informs the Thessalonians about what they don't know about the day of the Lord. And the second half, verse 5 to 11, it reminds them of what they do know. Both, uh, the purpose of both, though, is to encourage them. Now on the service sheet where uh, underneath the YouTube video you can click on the link there and you can see uh, a piece of paper which will help you to make notes. Uh, It's underneath that YouTube link. Here's the two headings. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 13. The first section is encouragement for the grieving. And the second section, 5, verse 1 to 11, is encouragement for the living. First of all, then encouragement for the grieving Verse chapter 4, 13 to 18. In January 2013, it snowed. Now that might not seem remarkable to you up here in the frozen north, but down in the balmy southern climes, that was noteworthy. But the reason that I remember that it snowed that year is because of what happened when it was snowing. Phil was a family man. He had a wife, he had three young children, he was a Christian minister, and he was my friend. And I sat in a house one morning with him, I was reading the Psalms to him, and it was the last time that we spoke, and it was snowing. 
See, Phil had been diagnosed with an aggressive form of bowel cancer uh, six months before, and it had spread and it became clear that those, those were his last days. And that morning he was lying in a borrowed hospital bed in his front room, and we were sitting watching the snowfall outside as he drifted in and out of consciousness. He died the following night, aged 34. And so I always think of him when I see the snowfall. Now he was a much-loved Christian brother to our church family and to me, and we grieved greatly for his loss. And I'm sure that many of us have had similar experiences. Now what gets you through that kind of thing? What gives you hope in the face of that? What does the family need to hear? What does the church need to hold on to? Is there anything for us in those dark moments? Paul is concerned in this part of the letter for the Thessalonians. It seems that since he last saw them, since they became believers on his first mission trip to their town, some of their number have died, fallen asleep in death, as Paul puts it here. And they're worried about what's happened to those believers who've died. Paul says they are uninformed about this in verse 13, probably simply just because this topic didn't come up during the short time that he was there with them. But the questions that they would have, you can imagine, can't you? They're the questions that most grieving people have. They're often the questions that children give voice to. I remember coming home after my friend's death and, and the kids asking, what's happened to him? Where is he now? Will we see him again? And it's really difficult to answer those questions. And the answers are given through tears. But a Christian can answer them. And they can answer them with real hope. Look at what Paul says with me in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. There is a hope that is peculiar to the Christian It's a hope that our world does not have in the face of grief. Let's be honest, it is hopeless the way that our world understands death. If this world is purely material, then death really is the end. There's nothing else. There's no hope in that at all. The loved one does not pass into the next room or look down upon us from the stars. We will not see them again. Where's the hope in that? But that is not the Christian understanding of things, is it? And it's not the Christian understanding because of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Here is the reason for the Christian hope. That Jesus died and then rose from death. 
that he paid for our sins and then broke death's power to hold us captive. Our hope in death is that Jesus lives. And here's what that truth means, that death is not the end for those who trust in Christ. And more than that, that he has with him in his safekeeping the souls of those who have trusted him in this life. They may no longer be with us, but they are with him. They still live in his presence, and that is better by far. Later on in chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, Paul returns to this theme and he says this, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon said this of these verses. It is a great truth that you will rise again. It is a sweeter truth that you will always be with the Lord. Whatever else you draw comfort from, neglect not this deep, clear and overflowing well of delight. There are other sources of good cheer in connection with the glory to be revealed, for heaven is a many-sided joy, but still none can excel the glory of communion with Jesus Christ. Wherefore, comfort one another in the first place, and most constantly with these words, so we will always be with the Lord. Here's how this cashed out for me in 2013. What did I really need? Well, I needed comfort. I needed a cup of tea. I'm, I'm a British. I needed a hug. I needed people around me. All those things provided me with comfort, but they did not provide me with hope. What provided me with hope in the face of my friend's death were these truths. I could say to my children through my tears, when they asked where my friend was after he died, He's with Jesus. He's safe with Jesus. And what a comfort that was and still is. But there was that other question. Will we see them again? And Paul's answer is you will see them again when the Lord returns on that final day. Let's read again verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
or one final great day in the future, Jesus Christ will return in glory. And when he does, the souls of those who have died trusting in him will return with him. And next, their bodies will be raised from their, gra- from their graves, not their old bodies, but their new glorified bodies, to be reunited with their souls, verse 16. See, theirs is no disembodied existence in eternity. They gain new bodies to live in on that day, as do we all. And then we, who are still living when Christ returns on that day, will be gathered up with them in the clouds to greet the Lord's arrival before we then live with him for eternity on this earth in a wonderful new creation. Isn't this a glorious picture of our future? Isn't this such a comfort to those who mourn? We face death, but with the expectation of life that goes beyond death. We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We live with the hope of a great reunion in the presence of our Lord. The death and the resurrection of Jesus has secured real eternal hope for us and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Now we come to the second half of this passage, and it's a connected idea. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Here's some encouragement for the living. Now it's important that these believers who are worried about about the dead in Christ, that they're reassured, uh, that they're assured that the dead in Christ are safe and they're secure with Jesus until that final day. It's important to do that. But it's because they are safe that Paul is more concerned with the living. It's to the living that he now speaks. You see, though the Thessalonians didn't know what happened to the dead before Christ's return, they did know about the fact of Christ's return. In fact, they knew a lot about it. In the Old Testament, prophets often spoke of the day of the Lord, and Jesus himself often taught about it. Thessalonians knew of this, and Paul now takes the opportunity to remind them of what they already knew. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now there are plenty of people who like to guess about when the world will end. Jesus taught that you could never guess, and actually that that was a foolish thing to do. He, he said that the on, only the Father knew the final timing of the final day. And he described his return to earth to his disciples, just as Paul describes it here, like a thief in the night. Now, thieves don't tend to tell you when they're coming. Um, Well, at least not good ones, anyway. They come when you don't expect it. That's the point. The day of the Lord will be at an unannounced time. In verse 3, he pushes things a little further. People will be complacent. Peace and security, they'll be saying. Their attitudes that you know, everything's fine, everything's going to go on being fine. There's no danger, no problems, no worries. But that's foolish. 
while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, I've never been a pregnant woman. Um, That might surprise you. But I've been around one three times. and The same one, in case you're wondering. And the, the moment that that first contraction happens... Well, things change. It's a big moment, a sudden moment, where peace and security quickly turn to drama and danger. And once it begins, there's no going back. The baby's coming. There's no escaping it, no matter how much every mother might want to. Just so with the day of the Lord. A sudden appearance when the world does not expect it. And no way out of the danger if you're outside Christ when this happens. For those who have not yet trusted in Jesus, there's real concern for them on that day. It will be disastrous, eternally disastrous. On that day, for those who have not trusted in Christ. But that's not primarily why Paul writes these verses. He writes to encourage the Thessalonians, to encourage us. Listen to where he goes next, verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. And be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. There's a bit of distance between us and the people of Paul's day and their experience of the world. It's quite hard for us to get a correct sense of of the experience of darkness in the world Paul's living in. Um, We live in a world with 24-hour electric lighting, We'd talk fondly of going out for the night. That'd be something we look forward to, something we're excited about. Well, if we can remember um, going out for the night, it's been quite a while, hasn't it, since we've done and really been out anywhere. But in Paul's day, going out for the night was something that you never did. Unless, that is, you wanted to engage in something shady or something wicked. The darkness gave cover for dark deeds. Crime happened at night. Drunken orgies happened at night. Adulterous affairs happened at night. No one could see your activity, so you used the night in these ways. Literal darkness gave opportunity for inner darkness to be exercised. And Paul says to Christian people, We are not of the night or of the darkness. Though we don't know the when of Jesus' coming, we know that he is coming with certainty. We've had our eyes open to the truth. We've believed the teaching of Jesus and of Paul. We know that there is a day of the Lord. And Paul says, we belong to the day, to that day. And it is a day where light and goodness and truth will banish all the darkness and wickedness from our own hearts and from the world. 
Here is something that we must preach, preach to ourselves daily. I am not of the night. I am of the day. We are not of the night. We are of the day. We're not people of darkness. We're people of light. We belong in the kingdom of light that's coming on that day, light that will outshine and outlast this dark world. And so we must always live with that in view. Paul says in verse 8, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. If I asked you where to find the armour of God in the Bible, I'm sure you'd tell me that it's in Ephesians 6, and you'd be right, it is, but it's here too. In these verses, Paul has in mind the life of the soldier. He makes reference to being sober, something a soldier on duty must always be. And he must put on his armour, his breastplate and his helmet each morning. He must be ready for duty, ready for action, ready for battle each day. But just have a look at the kind of armour that we're to wear. It's a breastplate of faith and love. It's a helmet of the hope of salvation. If you recognise that trio of faith, hope and love, you're doing really well. We've heard it before in this letter, back in chapter 1, in verse 3, where Paul says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we looked at those verses, we saw that Paul was speaking of ordinary gospel living. This is the work that we're about, the daily godliness, the the gospel-hearted service, the evangelistic activity the ordinary Christian life. The Thessalonians are already living the way that Paul says they are to live, as children of the day. But he sharpens his vision, he sharpens their vision here. Be battle ready, he says. Be living as if today's the day, the day. Live today like it's the last day. Be living as if the Lord's day is imminent, for it may well be. When the day of the Lord comes, be found ready, be alert, be on duty. Be found ready with faith, with hope and with love. Keep growing in your faith. Keep loving one another from the heart. Keep hoping in the salvation that's to come when the Lord Jesus returns. If you do these things... When he comes, you will find that your hope has been really well placed. Verse 9 and 10. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here, finally, Paul pulls together the two threads from the two sections of this Part of the letter, our destiny is not wrath but salvation. Our hope is not ourselves but the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
If we die before he comes, we go to live with him. If we're still awake, if we're still living now, we live with Jesus as our ever-present companion. We live each day as if it's the last day, making the most of every opportunity he gives us to serve him. If we're still living when he comes, well, what joy we'll have. A great reunion. A meeting with those who have gone before us. And together with them, we will welcome our King in his glory to his new creation. Let us do then as Paul commands and encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in his death he defeated our enemies of sin and death itself, that he broke their power over us, and that as he rose from the dead, he gives us real hope of life beyond death, that in him our future is secure. Lord God, we do want to pray now, particularly for those who are grieving, for those whom the death of loved ones is fresh in their minds. Would you comfort them, we pray? Would you speak to them of your love? And would you put in their hearts the hope of the gospel, that if they trust in you, their future is secure. Lord God, would you help us as we live in uh, this church family, as we live our lives shared together, as we go through these things together, would you help us to encourage one another with these words, to bring comfort through cups of tea and family time and hugs and, and all the things that we need to bring comfort, but would you also help us to speak the truth of your word into each other's lives so that we have hold of this real hope. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.